All right, guys, it's time for the next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Kieran LeFay. Kieran is a jiu-jitsu YouTuber, BJJ strength and conditioning coach, a certified fitness trainer, ISSN, sports nutrition specialist, co-host of the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast, self-professed jiu-jitsu nerd, and creator of the Longevity course. He helps BJJ athletes get strong, lean, and mobile, on and off the mats, no matter the level you're at. No matter what you're looking to improve on, he has videos to help you improve your jiu-jitsu and level up. He covers jiu-jitsu, nutrition, fitness, mobility, competition and the BJJ lifestyle and everything else that comes along with it. Kieran has content to help you improve as a performer in all aspects of BJJ performance. All BJJ, no BS. And now, let's get to the interview. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I found you through Jordan Does Jiu-Jitsu and anything and everything i wanted to learn about jiu-jitsu you seem to be the man you had all these amazing you know um, technique breakdowns. you had stuff about coaching training competing anything and everything a jiu-jitsu performer needs but for people who don't recognize your name and you're going to get some major fans from this how would you describe who you are you know like what me brings you to the the ball so to speak I suppose these days I would describe myself as a BJJ performance coach and enthusiast uh, and content creator. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell to summarize it in like the five-second elevator pitch. I like it. And what led you into jiu-jitsu? Was there this defining moment? Because you seem to just be jiu-jitsu. You seem to be able to coach <laughs> it, train it, compete in it. But was there this turning point that made you, you know, you hear a lot of people being bullied and stuff. Yeah. So mine was a bit interesting. Uh, I was in the Navy. uh, I was in the Navy for about seven, six years. uh, And I left two years ago from this recording. So when I was in the Navy, uh, boys will be boys. When we got together in, you know, in the dorms, we would wrestle and mess around with each other and, and, you know, just, kind of like roughhousing it's kind of like being in high school again but we're we're all we're all uh older um, You've got so, <laughs> yeah 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 we we used to call it snake pit right i don't know why that name came up but it was snake pit and we'd all just like you know mess rumble sort of thing um and there was this one guy his name's Dwayne, and he was an ex muay thai pro muay thai fighter and he had done jujitsu to, to about a blue belt level i think at the time and he would absolutely tell us up, destroy us, like take two on at once sort of thing. And I got in in that mindset because I was a young guy. I was a fit guy. I was already like well and truly into training uh, by the time I joined the Navy. 
I, I had in, in this like this mindset that a lot of young men have that you can just handle yourself. You know, the whole meme where it's like, I, I'll see red and bodies just hit the floor. That oh, yeah. mentality is so true for a lot yeah. of young people. There's a lot of, you know, um, testosterone. There's a lot of self-confidence, overconfidence in one's abilities. And I had that. Like, admittedly, I had that through and through. And it was, uh, you know, mucking around with, with someone like Dwayne, who, like I said, was, you know, comparative in his jujitsu journey, only at a blue belt level. And he could absolutely dominate, like, you, you know, to, to, to this crazy, like it, it blew my mind. And then I got this idea in my mind that I was walking around the streets, you know, not that I was like in any sort of dangerous neighborhoods, but I was just walking around living my life with, with no knowledge on how to protect or defend myself. And that, that's sort of that idea, that seed started to grow in my mind and it started to trouble me. Uh, and, you know, uh, a few years later from then, I, I just moved very close to a jujitsu gym for work. I would run past it every other day, like have a, have a look in the window, see what they're doing. You know, they're running in circles, they're doing, you know, crazy stuff. And, you know, like, like a lot of other young men, I, I listened to the Joe Rogan experience and the Jocko Willink podcast and you know, that, that idea was reinforced and I decided just to walk in one day and never look back. Cause it's always the same intent, you know, you hear from everybody, oh, you don't know me, man. You don't know my mentality. I yeah, see, you know, it's, it's like, I see red. I can win every fight I'm in. I can get every girl and you're like, yeah. And then they yeah. go and get thrown around by a 115 pound girl, purple belt or a white belt. Yeah. How, cause that's the thing is a lot of people approach it thinking, yeah, I've got this, but tiny bit of technique, tiny bit of timing, control and stuff, people get thrown around. I mean, I'm the wrong side. I'm just turned 40. Um, probably my diet is atrocious. want to get back to it. My blue belt kind of lost my way a bit. I need to go back into training. So I think it's perfect because a lot of people are wanting to go into it but not understanding mm. how to approach it. Without going into sort of like strength, conditioning, stuff like that, how would you advise people to actually just understand jiu-jitsu, to approach it without thinking, I'm going to win every role and actually go in and be a, a good student? Mm. Yeah, so if I think the conversation would be different for someone that hasn't trained before versus someone in like, you know, our position where you have a couple of years under your belt already or even, you know, just six months of training under your belt. So if we, if we segregate it to, to being like, my advice to people that haven't started training jujitsu is the cliche, just start and then, you know, we come back and listen to the second part of this later. Um, but for, for, people, uh, for people who have already started training, my approach for training jujitsu is obviously getting as much time on the mats as you can. But when you're on the mats, be intentional about it. And a lot of, a lot of people talk about this. And even you mentioned at the start, Jordan teaches jujitsu. He, he mentions this concept a lot in, in terms of being intentional with your training, have, have some sort of goal around each session. It doesn't need to, you know, you don't need to climb Mount Everest every session. You don't need to tap your training partners 10 times a piece every session, but have something that you're aiming toward. And I think that being focused and being intentional will really help to maximize your time on the mats. And the second piece of that is obviously what I sort of touched on in the beginning is to, to get your mat time maximized as in more time on the mats is 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 obviously going to um improve 
But there's also a limit to that. And I'm sure we're going to talk about, you know, managing uh, recovery versus, you know, managing uh, time on the mats and strength and conditioning and, and everything else. So I'm not saying everyone should be training two times a day. But yeah, just whatever time you have available, be intentional behind your training. And I think that will go a long way for most people. That's a great answer because that's the thing. People go in and they just feel like it's like a deer in the headlights because people are flying, flipping and rolling. And you're like, what, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and I, I go in and, yeah. you know, you do like a couple of, I uh, started with Gracie Baja and it was like 15 star jumps, 15 squats, run around yeah. three times. And suddenly it's like, you're now ready to do the most physically, you know, challenging moves of the set of all time. Like, what, what? This doesn't match what, what we need to do. So how no. do you kind of build in that initial kind of, because I know I love how you link your strength and conditioning exercises to benefit the human system, not just mm. get better at bench press. You're showing movements to actually make you a better jiu-jitsu athlete. But how do yeah. we then look at implementing a warm-up to get ready for jiu-jitsu? How do we physically prime yeah. ourselves? Yeah, excellent question. Um, I want to start by talking about what John Danaher mentioned in a seminar I was at recently, like last month, John Danaher was in nice. uh, Australia visiting visiting his mum for her birthday. So shout out to John. Nice. Um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of jiu-jitsu people know who John Danaher is. He mentioned warm-ups explicitly. He was asked this question. And um, what he said about warm-ups is there's two types of warm-ups in jiu-jitsu. The first type is the type you're mentioning where it's, you know, you run the laps, you do your star jumps, you do your 10 push-ups where everyone's chanting out the the, the counts, right? Don't remember that me. type of warm-up is ineffective and it's batshit boring, right? The second type of warm-up that he mentioned was a wrestling style warm-up where instructors take pride on how difficult their warm-ups are, where the warm-ups go for like half an hour, you're doing all sorts of crazy shit and you're exhausted. It's like a workout, Right. And that leaves the student in a state of fatigue. So both boredom in the first start, in the first form and fatigue in the second form are two of the worst mindsets to have when you're about to learn something complex like jujitsu. And I would couple onto that and to say that you're exactly right. Doing push-ups, doing star jumps, doing like laps. Yeah, there's an argument to be made that those warm-up modalities can increase your heart rate and get you prepared for some physical uh, demanding work. But what I would prefer is to do something like have all the students do a very short uh, joint mobility warm-up using uh, mobility drills. Or in, in the case of a beginner's class, an argument can be made is it's a good opportunity to learn basic movements. That's like probably the only time I would advocate for doing like hip escapes and you know, break falls and things like that for warm up is is a way to learn. But that's for white belts, uh, for you know, intermediate and above. You should come into class with your own short, like like I said, five minute mobility warm up, and then a warm up could be something like technique. A warm up could be something like a flow roll, uh, and then getting to the the proper technique of the class. Uh, and that's similar to what John said: is he expects his students from intermediate and above to warm themselves up. And his warm-ups are drilling techniques or doing a flow roll. Because every time I used to train, I never felt like I was actually in the class until a bit into mm. it. You know, I always felt like I was all over the place. Like I wasn't uh, psychologically primed or ready to move. Mm. And I, I like that approach to come in with an intention. So when we mm. are coming into training, 
how how do we have that intention? You know, if we were getting led by a teacher, um, mm. professor, whatever you want to call them, how do we have it so that we learn, we have intention? Is it I'm going to do the best technique I can in this position or I'm going to try and get three perfect ones out of the 10 I'm going to reps I'm going to do? How do we implement that intentional workout in our class mm. if we're getting led by someone else? So intention in terms of jujitsu technique, I would say that by the time you reach that blue belt level, you should have a technique or a an area of your jujitsu that's your focus, right? Mm -hmm. So say, for example, that you're, you, you've been up until blue belt, you've been doing nothing but guard. Your guard got you to blue belt, essentially. And you realize that you need to start working on passing. What I would do is under the guidance of your training partners, your your coach, or just what whatever you're interested in, pick a guard system that you're going to be focusing on for the next one, two, even three months. Based on that focus, try and put yourself in that position as much as possible. Obviously, we know that jiu-jitsu is so dynamic. You may go entire class without ever being able to put yourself in uh, over under uh, passing, for example, or like a pressure style passing. Maybe maybe you are being forced to play guard or or maybe you're just getting your back taken and you're forced to defend for a whole class, right? So uh, it really, it, it depends on obviously the, the individual roles. But if you go in looking for technique, if you're looking for the over under consistently, eventually you will start to see the entries from everywhere. And that's how you can be intentional. One other way you can be intentional is set yourself mini goals for each of your training partners. By the time you've rolled with or you've been at the same gym for a while, you will start to very quickly recognize and learn the styles, patterns, and, and systems that your training partners are trying to employ on you. Or you you know, like everyone has different training partners that they, they use as measuring sticks. You know, uh, I was, uh, you know, Say, for example, you have Bob and you can't pass Bob's guard. So every time you go into roll with Bob, your sole focus should be to try and pass his guard. Or maybe you're rolling mm -hmm. up against a higher belt and you always get submitted. So maybe maybe instead of having that higher belt submit you three times in a roll, your only focus with that roll is to, is to reduce the amount of times they submit you to one or zero potentially. Uh, so that's where you can have intentional goals and have intention behind your jiu-jitsu regardless of whatever training partner. And on the flip side of that, if you are the higher belt or you are the more experienced or more athletic uh, person in the role, maybe you could work toward, for this role, I'm only going to uh, allow myself to hit these submissions or this one submission, or I'm only going to focus on passing this very specific way, uh, forcing this reaction and then doing you know, X submission or something like that. I'm not saying you should force specific training because this is starting to sound like specific training. Because, you know, your training partner needs to work as well. And if you impose your specific training on them, it's not really, it, it can be considered a little bit unfair. But that's that's another way you can be intentional. So setting goals to work on holes in your jujitsu, and then uh, being intentional behind having goals for specific partners. And in terms of like, you know, your your mobility or movement, if say, for example, you have really tight hips and your your you know, getting stuck with your, it's suffering, it's making your guard retention suffer, for example. If you're focusing on those mobility drills outside the gym, you're focusing on those hip warm-ups inside the gym, 
and then you try and implement that with playing guard. That's how you can have like a three-step process to being intentional holistically around your jiu-jitsu. I love that. I love the the thought and the analysis that you put into that. It's mm. it's rare to see. Like a lot of people just teach the technique and it's like figure out how to piece this together, how to make it a fluid chain. And you, mm. I love how you you back it up with research. You back it up with like white papers that you've read and implement it into mm. your training. But like a lot of people struggle to create the like the structure to frame properly. They don't know how to mm. use their body structure in a way. So how would you want people, say, coming back after a long layoff, newbies, etc.? Is are you a fan of like the kit deal? learning the concepts over techniques are you like the you know the roger gracie become a fundamental master are you like uh, mm. bernardo ferrara pick three or four moves like you were saying you know a certain guard and become legendary in that then build the next one yeah. what's your what's your preferred way of learning jiu-jitsu because there's such a wide range I think all of those systems that you mentioned, and we could rattle off a few more as well, have their merits. They all have they all have pros and cons. And to to say that Bernardo, for example, you know, doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, look at his look at his success in competition. He's a he's multiple time world champion. Comes from uh, one of the the greatest gyms of his era uh, in um, you know in Alliance. So. And, and, and Kit Dale, you could say the same thing. And and even the the new the new wave. Uh, ecological approach uh, of uh, ecological teaching that is being uh, championed by the the likes of Greg Sanders. They all have their merits. They all have their pros and they all have their cons. I think that for me as an individual, I really like conceptual based learning to lay the foundation. Right. I like I like learning concepts. However, concepts only get you so far. I think that the reason people like the Rotolo brothers are so dominant in in jiu-jitsu at the moment with with less years on the mat compared to some of their more senior competitors taking out like you know the the gift of youth and and everything like that i think that the the big part of their success and and those like them is their their focus on being experts in concepts and being experts in position but that's not to say they haven't spent countless thousands of hours drilling specific technique, which they have. So I think that you need both concepts to lay the foundation of your understanding and you need repetition to make those, those uh, movements in, in, in those positions automatic. So we're trying to get obviously automatic responses. So I think that a, an approach, a combination between the two is is going to serve you you best and that's the approach that i like i'll give you i'll give you a concrete example when i was learning pressure passing uh this was not too long ago that was the passing system that my coach gave me to to focus on because it worked well with my body type mm-hmm. and uh so we're Same learning me. pressure I'm passing big, i'm a big guy so they were like yeah, yeah. Grind, cook them, yes. grind them away. <laughs> exactly exactly so when i was learning pressure passing my coach took me through the concept of operating between the knee and the hip. If you get within that zone for pressure passing uh, or control that area between the opponent's knee and their hip, 
your pressure pass will most likely be successful. That's where that's the area you need to operate in. You need to enter that area first, control that area, be within that area, and that that is how you control an opponent during a pressure pass. But that's the concept. Now, there's many different ways to achieve that through technique. You have you have your different variations of over under, like you mentioned, Bernardo. That's his like number one uh, passing system. Uh, we have the, our double unders from uh, Andre Galbao. He's he's very pronounced uh, double under pressure passer as well. But the point is that there's multiple different techniques to achieve that control between the knee and the hip. So the con- the con- the concept lays the foundation, and then the technique builds on the execution. So what would you kind of be monitoring like? Are you a fan of like a journal to record it? Are you looking for data on your weight, yeah. your, your your how you intrinsically feel about the session? How do you monitor your sessions to know that you're on the right path and where to tweak and stuff like that? That's an excellent question because I this is this is something that I've spoken to my coach at at length. Because um, you're I a big fan depends- of templates, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, te- templating things. Yeah, for sure. I, I take notes. I, I keep a jujitsu journal. My training partners, you know, always, whenever I bust it out, it's like, oh, dear diary, always make fun of me for for it. <laughs> and when I first started doing it as a white belt, um, you know, people would take the piss out of me. And then my coach would be like, yeah, well, one day, dear diary, we'll be kicking all your asses. <laughs> so, uh, okay, full circle. But yeah, so I keep notes on, um, I mean, you don't have to annotate your roles. You don't have to like write down everything that happens in a role. But if if something key or fundamental or you get stuck on something or something is really successful uh, where otherwise it wasn't during a role, maybe write that down and explore it. Maybe write that down, explore it, and then ask your coach the following session to be like, hey, when I was in this, uh, stuck in this deep half guard, for example, against training partner X, um, I achieved this position, like I was controlling the sleeve, got the underhook, but then I couldn't progress. What do I do? And then you can workshop it. Uh, I think that for me, not only is the act of writing being shown to uh, reinforce learning, but it's also a good reference point to come back to to jog your memory. I'll, I'll share a little example. Uh, and there was a reason I chose that uh, deep half. There's a brown belt uh, at my gym, Ollie, who has a a very, very good uh, deep half system, again, inspired by uh, Bernardo Faria. And I hate it. over the last, sorry? I hate that position when I'm in it. When I'm, yeah, yeah. If I'm too. doing it, <laughs> if I'm in it, yeah. fuck, it can fuck it, right It's off. horrible. <laughs> so I've, I've, been, I've been trying to pass this dude's um, deep half guard for the last six months. Just every single role, he puts me in deep half and I, I try and pass it. Or like, I don't let him put me in. He just he pulls me into a deep half and I've been trying to pass it. But over the last six months, I still haven't been able to pass it consistently. You know, every every so often I, I, I do pass it, but I haven't been able to crack the code and pass it consistently. But over this last six months, every opportunity where I roll with him, I make a note of how far did I progress in this position now? Now I'm at to the point where I feel like I'm at the final stages of passing one variation of his deep half, but it's taken me six months to get there, right? So that's a way I can be intentional and track progress with just one training partner. Imagine if you do that across all of your training partners. The problem with tracking your progression in jujitsu is, yeah, you're getting better, hopefully, but so are they. So 
you know, it, it's the whole analogy or the whole uh, dichotomy, if you will, where no matter how fast you progress, they're, they're still progressing. So you can never catch up if the gap's too wide, right? But you can measure your success against them in different ways. Like, like the example of me trying to pass Ollie's deep half guard. So yeah, I, I think keeping a journal is important uh, and systematizing it in a way where you're, you're at least being, you're at least considering mini goals versus different training partners or weighing up your your progress against the partners on different metrics. It doesn't need to be on how many times you submit them or how many uh, points you score on them or whatever. It could be in, in a different metric. Did Was I able to achieve these grips in this position against this guard? It can be as simple as that. That's a lot to think about. And that's more of an intermediate to, uh, you know, I'm assuming advanced uh, approach. So in, in the early days, simplifying it and focusing on uh, intentional goals across the board is is a good way of approaching it. But once you you know you've achieved some of those goals and you're you're looking for more, you can set intentional goals based on the individuals. So that's how I like to do, to do it. Like I was like, oh, how many taps I got? And then I realized I'm not going to tap the high up belt. Who's going to do it? But if I can look and go, well, I'm actually three out of five passes actually got close to going through. I go, okay, you know, like it's like you're saying the mini goals exactly. are basing on your performance. And gradually, I I really like that approach. And Mm. do we then link the end of a class where most people just bugger off and get changed and never do anything? Is the cool down the same as the warm up? An intentional kind of, you know, cooling the body down, letting the emotion cool, letting the adrenaline spike, Mm. you know, because you get these idiots who come along and say, you have a 90 minute carb window, you have to eat all your protein by this point. (laughs) You know, there's. People have heard it on Men's Health and or these yeah. other sites. You know, and they, we don't have a clue what to do. What should be a cool down from leaving the gym to like you know? Is there sports yeah. specific movements we do? Then sh- what should we eat? How should we go back to normality? Is probably a good way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, we've just gone to war. How do we how do we cool ourselves down from that? How do we come down from that cliff? Yeah, ex- excellent question, Ian. I think that. For, for my focus around uh, immediate post training is to basically regulate the central nervous system. You've, like you mentioned, you've just had a, a huge dump of adrenaline. You've just gone to war for an hour or an hour and a half, you know. So I think that picking three to four stretches, and I, I use the term stretch intentionally here, to basically downregulate your central nervous system and calm your body down. and you know, that will support you moving back to normality and, and regulate you out, lower your heart rate. So it can be jujitsu specific or it can be individually specific. What I mean by that is let's take the example I used before where maybe you're working on your guard and you've identified that hip mobility is a, a big factor to improving your guard retention because a, a big part of guard retention is your ability to get your knees to your chest. So maybe that is a sticking point for you. So maybe you could use the cool down as a time to work on some static uh, stretches or holds, stretching holds uh, to work on your hip mobility. If, if that's something you're working on, or maybe, maybe uh, I don't know, you, you have issues with your back, you could do some back stretches or, or something along those lines. Basically choosing some three to four very simple uh, not not too strenuous stretching, a mini stretching routine, 
and, and go through it maybe two rounds. And you don't need to like, uh, you know, hide off into a corner and be, you know, or Zen mode. You can still talk shit with your, your training partners and whatever. It's just while everyone's sitting around talking shit, you can be the guy stretching and talking shit. So a two for one, if you will. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think that that is a good way to be intentional behind your cooldown. Now let's let's tackle the second part nutrition wise. You mentioned metabolic window. Now this this goes, believe it or not, goes back and forth in the the literature, the nutrition, sports nutrition literature all the time. My latest sort of stance on it, if you will, is a, a I try to take a, a, the medium line. Let me let me explain so I stop talking around in circles. Basically, the concept is that is there a metabolic window? A metabolic window being is there a, a prime time to get protein in post-workout or is there a prime time to get carbohydrate in post-workout? I'd say yes and no. There is, but it's not as important as what people have put the emphasis on. Like back in the day when I first started lifting weights, when I was like 17 at a gym, I had guys telling me, oh, you have to smash a protein shake within like 10 minutes, yeah. otherwise you you go catabolic. And there was this <laughs> scary word, catabolic, don't go catabolic. You know, so it's like um, your body shoes off any protein after yeah, that. It's like, no, no, exactly. <laughs> and you lose all your muscle. Your whole workout is null and void. You're, you're wasting away in front of everyone. No, it's not like that at all. But is there a metabolic window or is there an optimal window of getting protein in post-workout? Yeah, well, in some literature, yes, there is. Uh, but is it as important as you're going to go catabolic and everything's null and void? No. So what I would say is within, if if you can, and I don't even do this myself every day, if you can post-workout, try and get in around 20 grams of protein and around the same in simple carbohydrates. And that will prime you for your larger meal an hour later. So that can be in the form of what I always recommend to people is something like a protein shake if you're if it's suitable for you and a, a, a medium-sized piece of fruit like a banana. And that will give you approximately 20 grams of carbohydrate and depending on the protein source, 20 to 25 grams of protein. And that is a really good one-two combo if you're interested. Now, if that's something that doesn't interest you or logistically it's too difficult, don't stress. You're not like leaving gains on the table. You're not, uh, you know, doing your body a disservice. I wouldn't, I wouldn't stress about it. It's not, it's not the most important. Nutrient timing is really a one percenter, in my opinion. It, it can be important if you're a pro athlete, but if you're an everyday jujitsu player and you just want to get healthier, you want to feel better, perform better, and eat better. Nutrient timing is probably one of the last things on the list of of priorities. I like that because that's something that everybody says, oh, that's so important and then this is so important. This is so... And before you know nah. it, you've got no time to do anything else. So what... Exactly, exactly. What, uh, in addition, would you want people doing? Because you've got a fantastic series on about strength and conditioning, how to, you know, you've got these like e-books, um, how to actually have a standard program that makes you a better jiu-jitsu athlete. Because I think that's what a lot of people forget is you're not getting stronger just for the disco muscles you're getting stronger to be a better athlete and yeah i mean i used to power lift and then i could barely get my legs over my head the first time we had to you know put the feet to the floor i was kind of like yeah. what is this witchcraft like you know like you can yeah. see the neck you're like but yeah how how do we pick like uh a program that makes us a better athlete you know fixes the energy leaks we have makes the jiu-jitsu mm. it's more beneficial and links to the jiu-jitsu movements 
I'm not just, oh, look at my bicep, but I can't do shit with it. I can't frame with it. I can't block with it. How do we pick the right variations of the movements or is it just mix it up to keep it fun but not take away from your training? What kind of guiding philosophy do you have? I think the first thing I'll say is the best workout you can do is the the best workout for you is the one that you're going to do or the one that you enjoy doing, right? The one you're willing to do, if you will. So first and foremost, you, you touched on a good point. Like, is, is it something that you enjoy? Not everyone is going to enjoy weightlifting. A lot of people that train jiu-jitsu don't like lifting weights and that's why they train jiu-jitsu instead to, to stay active. But if you're in a position where you want to do some strength training specifically for jiu-jitsu, then yeah, picking jiu-jitsu specific uh, movements is ideal. Now, I, I made this really, uh, what I think is a cool Venn diagram that I, uh, I'm about to publish on my my newsletter. I'm, I'm probably going to put it out on uh, social media at some point. But the Venn diagram, I I had a look at what has been uh, put out into the the strength and the jujitsu strength and conditioning uh, sphere or the you know the out of social media, and the way I see it is there's three categories of um, movements that people that train jiu-jitsu tend to gravitate towards. On the one spectrum, we have bodybuilder style movements, things like you know your bench press, your conventional deadlift, et cetera, or the big three viewer, or even powerlifting movements that you mentioned. So that's on the far left, if we imagine a Venn diagram. On the far right, we have jiu-jitsu specific movements where it's like uh, using uh, a gi to do pull-ups, uh, you know, using a gi grips to do you know, different rows and stuff and, and doing like kettlebell uh, Turkish get-ups, things of that nature. And then we have the middle, the overlap of the Venn diagram. And that's something, these are movements that I've, I've sort of looked at and other people in the industry have looked at and said, these are a good mix between. Now, the reason that I don't necessarily recommend going too far to the right being the totally jiu-jitsu specific only, and if it doesn't look like a hip escape, then don't do it sort of thing. The problem with that is those movements, they're great. Uh, but if you do those in isolation without considering some of the fundamentals, you're leaving a lot of strength gains on the table. Like if you are not doing deadlifts because you can't imagine a situation in jiu-jitsu where you are deadlifting, I think that your imagination needs some work. But <laughs> hypothetically, <laughs> if, if yeah, it, yeah, definitely. Um, but hypothetically, if you're avoiding that because it doesn't look like a jiu-jitsu technique, then you're, you're forgetting that all the benefits that deadlifts have. Uh, on, but on the flip side, if you're doing bench press because you want, as you put it, the disco muscles and you want to get the, the better the better chest, you know, you can achieve the same sort of results, but with supplementing it with slightly different variations of the bench press, you're going to have uh, safer, more protection on your shoulders and better translation to the to the sport that you're getting strong for in the first place. So it's it's an act of trying to find the overlap. Now, all this may be very confusing to most people that don't have a strength and conditioning background. Like, okay, that's all well and good, but how the fuck do I do that? Like you're saying, okay, choose choose uh, the fundamentals and then identify the jiu-jitsu specific and find that overlap. Well, how, how do I do that? Well, look at, look at different positions. Let's take the bench press because this is a common one. A lot of people that train jiu-jitsu have barbell bench press in their strength and conditioning programs because it's a bodybuilder style movement, it's a powerlifting style movement, it's fun, uh, it you know, gets big pecs, etc. But what I would say is you don't have to not bench press because it's a very awesome fundamental pushing movement. 
I would say replace it with either dumbbell variations to to put less strain on your shoulders, enable you to get your elbows uh, a little bit more closer to your body, uh, and it more simulates uh, a jiu-jitsu movement. Or better yet, I would say replace it with floor press, which is a bench press done off the floor. And then you, you may be saying if you are strength and conditioning orientated, you may be saying, okay, but why are we limiting our range? Why are we removing leg, leg drive? Why aren't we focusing on just doing the, the movement that's going to make us as strong as possible? Well, for this specific exercise, I don't want leg drive. I don't want full range of motion. I want to protect your shoulders. I want to simulate you um, bridging off some, like getting someone off you in a uh, mount or something like that, or, or using your frames off the floor. I want to simulate that in this specific example. So that is, a, is an example of how you can identify uh, an exercise and modify it for your sport. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. Because, I mean, going mentioning your newsletters, for example, you know, there was a recent one on hydration, one about, mm. like, um, like, your ebooks that you give away free. That a lot of people would be paying top dollar for them because they're so good <laughs> and you're giving away a, a great program to get people in a shape you know you take all yeah. this out you take all the the really kind of like high level expertise out of it so you say to people just mm. follow that do that don't mm-hmm. don't ruin your training use it as a side use it as a bit you know you you take all the hard stuff out of it for people to say there you go just rock that you'll and see mm. the gains and i love that i love you give so much free quality content out mm. what about mobility because the other good, great thing you do is you don't just talk about how to be an animal and explode and go through people you say you've got tight shoulders do this if you've mm. got restrictive like hips do this and you show the stretch to mm. do and things like that what kind of mobility like side training that would you do how do we make the movements beneficial to jiu-jitsu you know is it like mm. 10 minutes in the morning 10 minutes at night is that old style thinking is it beneficial how can we yeah. do these things well i would say that with the whole like 10 minutes of the morning 10 minutes of the evening if you have time and you're willing go for it that is always going to be, be- beneficial if you have time to dedicate once a week to do like an hour long uh, instead of doing like weightlifting specifically do mobility so active mobility becoming stronger in in different ranges of motion and maybe throwing some stretching in there as well great go for it but a lot of people don't have time to or don't not saying don't have time 
but aren't willing to invest that time in just mobility when they're trying to balance all of their other life responsibilities and eliminate that. Just look at your training schedule for the average jiu-jitsu athlete that is considering adding mobility. You have your jiu-jitsu, which is an average between two and a half to, to say four sessions per week. And then you have strength and conditioning. I recommend a minimum of two to get real benefit. If, if one's all you can manage, do it. But two is minimum, in my opinion. And then I'm asking you to add another mobility session on top of that. It, it all becomes too much, right? So in terms of when to include your mobility, I recommend if you can do it of the morning, great, go for it. Not realistic. So do it as a warm-up before your, your standard class warm-up. So get to class just 10 minutes earlier than you normally would. 10 minutes, if you can manage it and do your mobility then. If you do that every every session, that's 40 minutes. If you do four a week, four jiu-jitsu sessions a week, that's 40 minutes per week of mobility. If you're doing two strength and conditioning sessions, do the same thing for strength and conditioning. Do a mini five to 10 minute mobility warm-up. So that's now an hour. That's 60 minutes of mobility that you're doing. That's not including the cool down time that we already spoke about. You don't have to necessarily give yourself a, a full mobility session. Um, but if you want to, and if you're able to, yeah, it would definitely help. It would definitely be beneficial. I do have a, uh, you, you may have seen it in, but it's a 30 day jujitsu mobility challenge that I did. Fantastic. Um, it, it was, yeah, it was to promote uh, the BJJ performance and longevity course that I did with Jordan uh, from Jordan Teaches Jiu-Jitsu. So that is basically what I'm talking about here. Each video is about 10 minutes. I think the longest one is like 15, but the average of 10 minutes long. And they each day focus on a different target area to achieve something in jujitsu. For example, there's like multiple uh, guard retention series. There's the elbow fix. There's the shoulder fix, etc. So if you did something like that, whether it's broken up between before and after class or split between jujitsu and strength and conditioning, uh, and if you did maybe like four of those a week, that's 40 minutes of mobility per week, more than you would normally be getting. And it it's, uh, seems... Less, less daunting than carving out a 40-minute block, which most people just simply can't do. So that's how I'd recommend tackling getting your, your mobility in. I love that you're that kind of coach, that kind of don't take more out of your life. Do while you're there. Yeah. Just add more to it. I love, I love yeah, how yeah, you yeah. plan and think this through because that series alone, it's worth hundreds of pounds. Yeah, well, sorry, hundreds of dollars. Okay. <laughs> hundreds of pounds. You know, it's the quality of it. Yeah. And it's like you do video after video, and it's just like this is this guy just knows where all like fat out of shape people need help with. <laughs> it's like you read their mind and go, okay, you got tight hips, you got tight ankles, you got yeah. you've got something on how to fix shoulders, all the common problem areas. One of the biggest yeah, things definitely. I have is. I blow out my ass when I'm rolling. I blow out my ass when I'm pushing the limit because I'm six foot four. I'm a heavy guy. I've never really had to push it <laughs> because I can always pressure past top game and stuff. Yeah. I've never really had to be fighting from the bottom and spinning and all that. The advice I always got was to get better at jujitsu, to roll more, is to just roll more. Don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah. That's how you do it. Now, you've got a video where you talk about that just makes you more BJJ-specific endurance. How mm -hmm. do we actually build like VO2? Because you talk about level two endurance and things like that. You have mm -hmm. this fantastic reason and science behind it. Can you go a little into that? Because I know you're a big fan of just yeah. rolling more. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you're trolling. Um, yeah, this is this is something that I definitely wanted to talk about. Now, I have to give a, a shout out to Carson Overdyte, a uh, Norwegian researcher that does uh, a lot of his or has done a lot of his research in BJJ specific uh, conditionings, strength and endurance. Basically, a lot of his research has been done purely on BJJ to to try and uh, improve the body of literature around jujitsu and grappling. And unbeknownst to a lot of people, there is a body of literature around jujitsu and grappling. And the findings are very, very interesting. Now, whenever I come out with videos or statements on podcasts and say things, I always get the the pushback from other scientifically minded people. Like they'll, they'll throw their credentials out and say, why are, you, why are you making bold statements on one paper? But it's not one paper. It's a body of literature. So we're talking, we have meta-analysis, which is a combination of multiple different studies around this very question. How do you improve your gas tank for jiu-jitsu? The old school method, which comes from like that very hardened old school, you know, 90s, noughties, um, old generation jiu-jitsu is just, just roll more, get on the mats. And the, the only way to get better for like uh, the only way to get improve your gas tank for jujitsu is to do more jujitsu. That's what your a lot of old school black belt coaches will tell you. Just show up to the gym. There is some truth to it in terms of the more jujitsu you do, the more time you spend on the mats, the more efficient your movements will be. I love the more that efficient bit. your movements are, yeah, you're you're going to use less of your gas tank, right? Now, if we use like the analogy of like a car and say that you know, um, a white belt when they're doing something like a, some sort of technique, like, uh, I don't know, a sweep or something like that, because they're less efficient with that movement, they'll use 20% of their gas tank. Input a brown belt in there because they've had years and years of doing that exact sweep on many different opponents and, and they are very efficient with their movements. Nothing is wasted. They may use 1%. So who has the bit bigger gas tank? Is it the brown belt or is it the white belt? Well, we don't know. But the white belt is using 20% to do one move. The brown belt is using 1%. But the question is, will jujitsu make you more fit? Does jujitsu improve your cardio fitness? The, the answer to that, based on some of the research that has been done, and again, it's not, it's not complete. There needs, more needs to be done. But what we have so far is the answer is, to a level, to an extent. If you take someone off the couch and you put them in a jiu-jitsu program for six months, are they going to improve their cardio fitness? Unequivocally, yes, absolutely. If you take someone that has no base level of aerobic fitness, are they going to improve their cardio fitness based on uh, a VO2 max measurement? Can you assess their VO2 max before, put them through six months, assess it after, and will you see an improvement? Yeah, you will. But here's the kicker it will be to a certain ceiling. It will be to a, there is a ceiling effect on the amount of improvement you can make on your VO2 max based on jujitsu alone. And this is counterintuitive because people are like, well, the more jujitsu I do, the fitter I feel. Yeah, because you're more efficient. You're, you're getting mat fit as, as we call it. Now, how do you improve your aerobic conditioning for jujitsu? There's two things that you need to consider. And you mentioned uh, both of them already. The first one, you, you mentioned uh, zone two training. And zone two training is designed to improve your aerobic base. 
zone two training is operating within that 50 to 60% of your maximum heart rate and staying there for as long as you can. So low and slow, we call it. Basically keep your heart rate low, go slow for a long time. That will improve your aerobic base. Your, imagine your aerobic base as your floor. You're raising the, your floor level of aerobic conditioning. Now, the next way to improve your aerobic conditioning for jiu-jitsu is improving your VO2 max. This is your maximum output. VO2 max is the gold standard for assessing someone's aerobic fitness or their cardiovascular fitness. It's basically how much oxygen can your body intake over a certain amount of time? What's the maximum volume of oxygen your body can intake? And they're, they're like smartwatches give you an estimate these days. Like there's all sorts of ways to, to measure. I'm not going to get into how inaccurate they are, but the point is improving your VO2 max and improving your aerobic base will overall be a good one-two combo of improving your cardiovascular fitness for jiu-jitsu. So if you want, I can go into specific protocols on how to do both of those and how I recommend inputting them into a program. Because sure I, I think that's a big thing into it. It's like a lot of people don't understand that, that you're not getting fitter. You're just not using as much energy having to get exactly. the on the technique. And that blew me away exactly. because... I was thinking that makes so much sense that no one had ever said that to me. And I got that told by a, a, a recent black belt, just roll more, just roll more, roll more, man, get on the mat more. And I was like, that can't be right. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm always well, breathing at bars. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the thing is like, look at it from their perspective, right? Before, if you don't, if you don't give a shit about the research and you're like, oh, that's whatever, just, you know, you don't need to overcomplicate it. If you look at it objectively, anecdotally, what are the results we see when you do roll more? You, you get less gassed, right? You're able to, to go longer, harder, et cetera, because you're using less of your energy. So is there benefit to that? Hell yeah, there is. Should you be rolling more? Yeah. But is it making you more cardio fit? No. Now, I think that everyone knows someone that has a huge gas tank on the mats. Maybe their brown belt are up, right? And they can go a full 10 minute round and you know, the, seemingly still have another 10 minutes in them going hard, right? You put that same person on a track, on a bike, on an aerodyne, they die in the ass. They can't even, they can't even get their heart rate up. They can't even, you know, score like a 55 on a VO2 max uh, scale. And you're like, where is the disconnect? Well, they have sport specific conditioning. Very similar research has been done in other sports. Believe it or not, sports like soccer, have had the very, very similar findings that to a certain extent, the sport makes you fitter, but there's a ceiling effect on that. And for jiu-jitsu, it's theorized in the literature that this is because that jiu-jitsu is supine, right? You're laying down a lot of the time. So gravity is being taken out of the equation and they're, they're theorizing that that has a limiting, limiting effect on how it improves your VO2 max. For anyone out there who has trained jiu-jitsu and then has gone and done a wrestling class and you're like, holy shit, this is so much harder on cardio. Like what is going on? Well, funnily enough, pro-level wrestlers on average have a much higher VO2 max than pro-level jiu-jitsu players. And it's because the, the theory is that they're not supine. Wrestling is mostly done on the feet. It's very explosive, but there's no, um, you're not laying down, like there's no guard, etc. So that's another theory. And judokas are the same. They have slightly less than wrestlers, but slightly higher than jiu-jitsu players. So the ranking is jiu-jitsu the lowest, then judokas, then wrestlers. 
it's some class. I actually thought I remember my first wrestling class. Oh, that was hell. Suddenly, yeah. the, you, <laughs> it takes out all the stalling. It takes out all the guard play. And before you know it, you're just yeah. again and again and again. And it's, it's so hard. Yeah, oh. <laughs> so how then would you want people to eat? I mean, you have a fantastic thing on your Instagram about a diet where you're on about like steak and chips and breakfast wraps and granola. And I'm like, yeah. It's almost like you're telling me off when you see my diet at the minute, like, and I was like, okay, I need to eat like a grown up. But how do we mm. implement that recovery? Because I know we're coming close to our time, and I feel like it's literally been five minutes. And I was like, this is a podcast <laughs> in its own in a lot of things. But how do yeah. we, like, how do we eat like an athlete? How do we recover like an athlete? How do we implement that to go back and be better on the mats again for the next session? Nutrition is, you're right, we could do a full hour on uh, on nutrition for jiu-jitsu and not even scratch the surface. I would say that on the outset, if I could just get one thing across to anyone listening about nutrition, it's to prioritize your carbohydrates, prioritize your protein sources, have high quality foods. Just focus on high quality foods, things like you know whole foods. We're looking at uh, an example of high quality protein would be, um, you know, chicken, you mentioned steak, but in moderation for red meat, uh, fish, etc. Focus on good sources of protein. There's obviously the the same equivalent for um, vegan or plant based diets as well. Focus on getting around 50% of your intake from carbohydrate. For jujitsu athletes, carbohydrate is going to be your main fuel, your glycogen um, replenishment is going to be very important for recovery. And obviously, we also need uh, healthy fats. So don't neglect fat. Fat is not the enemy. Have a, So if you were to break it down, I'd recommend for most people, 50% of your diet should be carbohydrate. Approximately 30% of your diet should be protein. And the remaining 20% should come from high quality fat sources. So that that's in a nutshell. Pick high quality foods and have that approximate macro split. If you're not interested in splitting your macros like that, look at your plate. Be like 50% of my plate's carbs, you know, around about, uh, a fist is the protein source and the whatever the thumb is the the, the fat. Uh, go, go for that, right? In terms of recovery, yeah, you can do things like saunas and ice baths and foam rolling and the, the mobility that we mentioned. All of those things will make you feel better. And subjectively, they'll improve you re- recovering. Subjectively, they'll make you sleep better and, and that will have a flow on effect for recovery. But as I mentioned just then, sleep, sleep is the best way to to recover. From, from any like intense sort of exercise regime, any intense routine that you may have, getting adequate sleep is really important. So I recommend that people get eight to nine hours of sleep opportunity per night. Again, that's very hard to achieve, but if you can get a minimum of seven hours of sleep per night, then you're in the ballpark. So getting that minimum of seven is, is really going to be the biggest thing to improve your recovery. So nutrition, adequate levels of carbohydrate, protein, and sleep are going to be the main two that are going to drive the needle. Everything else that costs you money, like saunas and, and ice baths and, and uh, massages and things like that, they're good. They're the one percenters, but they're not the main drivers. So focus on the big two. I love that. It's like you're kind of, you know when I'm struggling and you're like, start sleeping like a grown-up. Start eating like a grown-up. You know, <laughs> and I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. They go home and they have a McDonald's. And then they don't. Then they stay up yeah. playing the PlayStation. You man, I know yeah. you're a big fan of like creatine as a supplement for everyday kind of usage for mm. athletes. 
is there minerals or tools or hacks that you found to sleep better? Is there something like, you know, they say magnesium, for example. Do you, are you Yeah, magnesium does way? help. Well, it depends. Okay, so there's so much you can do for sleep. I, I went through a period of my life before I even started training jujitsu where I considered I was a self-proclaimed sleeping nerd. I got really into the biohacking uh, sphere, the biohacking movement. <laughs> but my, my interest was in uh, sleep. And the ring that I'm wearing is an aura ring. So it tracks my sleep. So I wear it every day. Like I'm obsessed with sleep for a long time. Magnesium definitely helps. If you have a deficiency, it will definitely help to supplement that deficiency. And a common one is vitamin D. That will obviously, that will also help your, your recovery, it'll help you, you feel better and it'll help you sleeping. Um, you mentioned creatine as a supplement, just as an aside, definitely recommend creatine monohydrate for all people training. Um, and even people that don't train, there's been evidence to support that helps your brain health as well, despite uh, not training at all. So creatine is definitely a supplement I recommend. Magnesium is is good if you if you can afford it and are willing to invest in supplements. But again, it, it comes down to that, you know, one, two percent benefit, if you will. So but then again, if we if we take all these one, two percenters that I've mentioned and add them all together as an aggregate, then we're looking at substantial gains, particularly over a long period of time. But I, I think in the short term to improve sleep, I know you've probably heard it a million times, but limiting your amount of blue light exposure before bed really really help having some sort of down regulation particularly if, if you have a similar routine like me i train jiu-jitsu i come straight home i eat immediately and then i'm pretty much getting ready for bed because i, I train pretty late at night our class finishes at 8 p.m so by, by the time i get home you know shower uh eat whatever it's nearly 9 30 uh and it's it's time it's time to to sort of wind down so having some sort of um system where you're like hey 30 minutes before bed i'm just going to turn off my screen I'm going to put my phone on red light mode and, um, you know, maybe I'm going to do some stretches or, or just wind down, read a book, something like that, right? Having that would, having some sort of down regulation routine will really, really help you get to sleep faster and improve your sleep quality overall. And it can be as simple as like a, a 30, 20 minute, uh, not even routine, but just things that you put in place to improve your sleep. I mean, I'd love to have you back. I mean, I know we're up to an hour already and I feel it literally does feel like five minutes, but for those listening, <laughs> before we can maybe go into another one and do on diet, one on competing, one on education, review, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm. How do we take everything that you've been discussing? Is it literally tweak a 1% here, look for 2% gain there, and just see mm. how it feeds into your jiu-jitsu, review it, and then see, okay, I got a good sleep then, but I need better diet. How do we kind of shape it to be a better perform bjj performer going forward is it a way to kind of pull it all together excellent questions i think if we look at it it depends on the individual and where you're at and what you're willing to do it all comes down to what you're willing to do how much time you're willing to invest how much energy you're willing to invest and how how bad you want it but if i was to say okay someone's on the fence they're like yeah everything he's saying is all well and good but what can i what can I do now? What, what are the key takeaways? I'd say for starters, start a strength and conditioning routine of some sort. Add it on to your, your week. If you're training four jiu-jitsu sessions per week and you can only train four times per week, remove one jiu-jitsu session, add one strength conditioning. That's what I'd recommend in that sphere, right? Just, just get started. Two days a week maximum is all you need. And I have a, funnily enough, I have a free two-day uh, strong for jiu-jitsu program that you can download. 
I'm sure we can put a link or, or whatever. Um, so that's SNC sorted. Just start. Second is nutrition. Start to be conscious of what you're eating. The more aware you are of what you're eating, you automatically start making better choices without even using a, a nutrition coach or logging all your food and tracking all your macros and everything like that. You don't really need to do that in the at the very beginning. Just be more aware of what you're eating. Ask yourself, is, is what I'm about to eat, is it high quality food that's gonna help me perform sleep and move better? If the answer is no, then maybe don't eat it. Maybe eat something else or maybe eat, eat it once a week instead of every other night, if, if that makes sense. So that's something you can do immediately. With the mobility, really simple. Do five to 10 minutes of a mobility warm up before and after class. Just, just make it five in the beginning. Just will yourself to do five minutes before class, five minutes after. All of a sudden, you've done 40 minutes a week of mobility. Well, so that, that's for the big bag three. Huge difference. So those are the big three you can do right now. Admittedly, the strength and conditioning one would probably be the most challenging, particularly if you don't have a gym or anything like that. I do have a body weight um, version of that strength and conditioning program. So if you don't have a gym, you can do that instead uh, if, you, if you want that. Uh, so yeah, there, there's options there for everyone in every situation, but just start, be more conscious with your nutrition and uh, get your mobility in before and after class. Now that's for someone that you know just wants to do things now. If you want to take it to the next level, I recommend seeking out some form of uh, programming, like I've already mentioned, or a, a coach. Start consuming uh, some, you know, jujitsu specific nutrition guidance, jujitsu specific strength and conditioning guidance. There's some really like you don't even have to get it from me. There's some really good guys out there that are doing some amazing stuff. Not hard to find. Uh, but if you are interested, you can check out the the free the free uh, ebooks, the free. Uh, training programs that we have. Uh, and if you want to learn more, read blogs, et cetera. I've, uh, it's on my website, kieranlefebvjj.com. Check that out as well. So that's a I good love, place to start. I love how you already answered like my last two questions. I like it superficial because <laughs> I'll have the links to the show notes and things like that. But are you taking people on? Are you looking to do more online coaching? Are you looking to kind of build that mm. business model of, like online yeah. platform, where do you want to take the evolution of your business? So I have been an online personal trainer, nutrition coach for shit. I don't even know. I think just over six years. So I've done it. I've, I've been doing it well before I started training jujitsu. And I, uh, I used to be a amateur bodybuilder, a, a natural bodybuilder. And I was like coaching bodybuilding clients for a while there. But the long and the short of it is I, I stopped taking on online uh, clients for many years there and I was creating content and just, you know, spreading the word that way. But up until recently, literally as of uh, this, so today, as of today, ironically, this coincides very well. I've just started taking on online um, clients again. I was doing like consulting um, like a one-off sort of consulting, one hour here, one hour there, that sort of thing and writing programs on request. But now I'm officially accepting online clients as of, it's like I've timed this today. <laughs> but when this launches, it would have been out for, you know, I'm not sure when this goes live, but a couple of weeks or something like that. So, And how do we go about doing that? Is that coming to your website and signing up or do you yeah. want to like a... Yeah, so check out uh, kieranlefevbjj.com. And my name's kind of hard to, to spell, but if you type that into Google, it'll be the first hit. Um, or if you, you can find it via my YouTube channel. 
uh, on the website, you have all the information on all the, the coaching uh, products that I offer. But at the moment, I'm, I'm really focused in on trying to uh, offer a or offering a 12 week BJJ coaching package. So I've found in the past, anything less than 12 weeks is not necessarily enough to get results for most people. And anything more than 12 weeks is too large of a commitment. It's too daunting. So 12 weeks is, there's a reason that a lot of coaches operate in that 12 week period. It's because it's a sweet spot. So I'm, I'm doing 12 week uh, BJJ coaching, which will be the, the strength and conditioning, the cardio, the uh, nutrition and the mobility all rolled into a, a one package delivered via an app or the bells and whistles, that sort of thing. And to sign up to that, uh, if, if there's spots available, you can check out the, the website. There's a big link right below the banner. Um, click on that, you'll find it. Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.